Welcome to the Church Podcast. Today you will hear a message that will leave you inspired, encouraged, and equipped to impact your world for God. Now, let's join Pastor Jim in this week's message. Pull out your message notes. Uh, We're going to dive into today's message. We have been in a series called The Four Cups. Today is the last week of this series. I'm excited. Next week, I'm going to do a message called What If, uh, where, where faith meets perhaps And uh, it's going to be an amazing message that God has been stirring in my heart, and you're going to want to come and hear it. Uh, I believe it's it's for you. But today we're going to close out the installments of these four cups. We've been talking about four promises that God has for each and every one of us in our lives. And it's called the four cups because the Jewish people celebrate what they call the Passover Seder. And this is them celebrating uh, what God did when he delivered the Jewish people out of Egyptian bondage. And every year they have a celebration that symbolizes uh, what God has done. And in this story that we've been talking about, it's important for each and every one of us to know that God has four core promises. And each one of those cups of wine, they symbolize one of those promises. How I many know after four cups, you're going to be like, hallelujah, <laughs> it's good. And so those cups symbolize the promises that God wants us to partake of in our lives. And what a tragedy for us as believers to have lived our whole life as Christians, as followers of Christ, never experiencing all that God wants for our lives. How many of you would like to experience all that God has for your life? I know if you're like me, I'm like, God, I want everything. And so that's what these series have been about, these messages. And today is the last. We're going to talk about the last of the promises. Let's go into Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. If you're here for the first time, we'll catch you up. Uh, The promise is actually first found in this verse. And anytime you have a promise in the Bible, how many know you always want to go back to its first mention? Because that gives the whole context of what God is wanting to do. And so here we see it, and uh, it's when God is talking to Moses before the Israelites are brought out of bondage. And he says in verse 6, he says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. We talked about this one on Easter. We equate this. This is called salvation. God wants to save you. Did you know that you don't have to do anything for salvation? We are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. The first promise God wants to do in your life is a promise that he has fulfilled, and it costs you nothing. In fact, the book of John says 98 times, simply believe. That's the beautiful thing about the promise. But then we talked about the second promise. He says this, I will free you from being slaves to them. So after God saves us, How many know this is where the work begins? You say, well, I think that's the same promise. No, what happened was God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. Now he has to get Egypt out of them. And this is where most people that are born-again believers, that are Christians, spend their life. In fact, one survey said that 87% of Christians, they stay stuck in their problems, never knowing how God and how God created them. So they get stuck, and this is how it would go. You love God, you're going to heaven. But, you, but you're still in all the bondage that God wants to deliver you from. And so you live in this life, and it's defeated. And he says, I want to free you from being slaves to them. The third promise is this. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And we talked about this last week. Redeem means that he wants to restore you. He wants to put you back to your original intent. 
Every one of us, the Bible says, have gone astray. We've gone our own way, and we got wrapped up in bondage, and God wants to purchase us back. He wants to redeem us back to the original intent with which he created us. How many know that's some good news? But at the end of the day, it doesn't stop there. The fourth promise, which we're going to talk about today, he says, I'll take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Now, we talked about this last week. The good and amazing thing is the first three promises are you, you, you. But the last promise that we talk about today, God addresses us as a people. And so it's more than just being individuals. He addresses this promise, and it's brought to us as we are a body of people. And it says, I will be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, I want you to know from the very beginning of this church, from the inception of this church, two years ago, we celebrated two years just a month and a half ago, we have created systems and processes around these four promises. We believe in it so much, it's what we built the infrastructure of our church around. That God has these promises. Now, he has more than 3,000 promises for each and every one of you. But these are the ones that are central. That if you'll get these and if you'll allow God to work these inside of your life, everything else will take care of itself. And so how did we do it? I want to give you just briefly the four promises and the four processes that we have here as a church. The, the first cup is the cup of sanctification. Now, if you've been here for the last three weeks, I know you probably want to put what I've told you to put, which was salvation and what they mean in layman's terms. What I want you to do in filling in the blank today is I want you to put in the process that we've created to help you walk to and through these promises. Can you do that? So the first one is the cup of sanctification and salvation. And the way we do that here at the church is through weekend services. And so we love weekend services. It's kind of like a big family reunion. Amen? I, I love it. We were at the art conference this last week, and there were thousands of pastors together, and it was good, and it was worship, and it was a whole bunch of believers worshiping God. And how many know God moved in a powerful way? It was absolutely amazing. But now Sunday services, they're a little bit different. We want you to enjoy them. We want you, if you're a believer, to say, man, I get fed at the Sunday services. And I believe many of you do, which is why you keep coming back. But can I tell you a little bit of a secret? Just a little. Sunday services are not just for you entirely. I mean, we want you to enjoy them. We want you to connect with God. We want you to be ministered to. And, you know, I preach a word that every one of us walk out feeling like, man, I got it. But did you know that Sunday services are a place for you to bring your unsaved, unchurched friends, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's someone that doesn't even believe in God. They could be atheist or agnostic or Hindu or Muslim, and they come in and they say, hey, just come check it out. Well, I'm Muslim. That's all right. I'm Christian. Come to the church. And they walk in the door, and everybody loves and accepts them and embraces them, and the worship draws us into God's presence, but the key is this, we just want to connect them with God's love in a way where they can understand the word. How many know the word of God doesn't have to be so complex that people don't understand it? Jesus taught in parables. So that people could get the word of God. You say, well, I get it for the first time. Well, that's because we try to make it so that anybody who walks through these doors could say, man, I felt the love of God. I understood for the first time what God was saying. And now I am going to begin my journey with God. 
And that's what it's about, the weekend service. And I got to tell you, it's working. You're inviting your friends. You're inviting your family. You're inviting coworkers. How do I know? Because we've had over 611 people have a profession of faith. Salvation took place in their life. Come on. It says, all of heaven rejoices. And so it's working. In the second cup, the way we do it, the cup of deliverance of freedom, is we do that through small groups. We know that real life change happens in the context of relationships. This is where we work on getting rid of the pain of the past, the hurts of yesterday, and we get real with one another. Did you know that God forgives your sin, but healing comes from men? That it's in the context, James said, that we confess our faults one to another, that you might be healed. Isn't that interesting? So I thought healing comes from God. Forgiveness comes from God. Healing comes in the context of relationship because God created us to live in relationship. And so listen, 51% of this church are in small groups. You say, man, I'm going to weekly small groups, and that's awesome. Listen, we want you to be a part of it. We don't ever want you to feel less than because you're not a part of it. We want you to experience small groups because we know that's how you drink from the second cup. The relationships are key. That God brings healing, and he closes the door of the past and lets you see the future. Can I get an amen? The third cup is this. It's the cup of redemption or the promise of restoration. And we do this through growth track. Growth track is not perfect, but it's our process that we do intentionally week in and week out to get you in a place where you can be put back to your original intent. So many people go through life saying, I have no idea why I exist. I don't know what my purpose is. I'm going to heaven, but I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's what this this promise is for, that God doesn't want you just to exist in this earth. He wants you to have purpose. He wants you to understand. See, you're not an accident. Some of you thought, man, your mom and dad said, whoops, you're an accident. And so your whole life, you believed you're just an accident. And when you walk in life with that paradigm, your paradigm then becomes God's just trying to figure out what to do with me. Can I tell you, God's not trying to figure out what to do with you. God actually had a plan, and then though your parents thought it was an accident, he handcrafted you. He formed you, and he said, I'm going to put you in the world at this time, in this place, with these people, because I have a purpose that I need you to fulfill. And so in the growth track, we help you to do that. It's four weeks. Listen, it's 11 o'clock this service. So that means for four weeks, you go to the 930 service and you go to the 11 o'clock. It usually meets right over here. My left, your right. And we walk you through, okay, how is it that God created? You take a personality profile, spiritual gifts test, and we discover together God's original intent for your life. Then the last cup is the cup of fulfillment. That's what we're going to talk about today. It's the cup of praise. We say fulfillment, and the way we do this, the way we operate and see God do this in our lives is through the dream team. There are over 200 of you each and every week that operate and function as part of this dream team. It's amazing to see what God's doing, and some of you say, well, why would they do that? I'm going to answer that throughout the message today, but I want you to know this. Before we go any further, you need to know and understand that God's ultimate plan for your life His ultimate plan for your life is that you would live a life that is fulfilled. That you would have the fulfillment of God inside of you, not a less than. You're not just trying to exist and make it. God wants you to live life to the full. Did you know that God is glorified when you're fulfilling your purpose? 
But there's a plan of an enemy, the devil, he hates you. In fact, John 10.10 says it like this. The thief's purpose, he's talking about the devil, is to steal, kill, and to destroy. So he wants to steal your purpose. He wants to steal your destiny. Some of you have thought, well, I've gone too far. I've done too much. That's the devil trying to steal your future. Trying to kill you. Somebody said, man, I almost died. Well, that's the devil's plan for your life, that you would die. If he can't take your salvation, and let me tell you, when you're born again, he can't steal your salvation, but he can steal and kill your future and destiny. And he's out to destroy your life. And someone said, well, I don't even believe in the devil. Listen, you may not believe in the devil, just like you may not believe in gravity, but go walk off a building and let's see if you'll fall. The devil's real, he doesn't like you, and he's out to steal, kill, and destroy, but God. Everybody say, but God. Isn't it awesome that our God has purpose for our lives, and his purpose is to give life in all its fulfillment. Everybody say, fulfillment. So his purpose is to have us live a fulfilled life. So here's the question. If that's God's purpose, how come we don't live a fulfilled life? I think that there's three reasons that we don't live a fulfilled life. And every one of these reasons is solved through one of the four cups. That's why we built this church around these processes. The first one is this. We let our past cripple us. So why do we live unfulfilled lives? Because we let our past cripple us. We look through our rearview mirror of life. We look through the past instead of the windshield of the future and say, God, the past is the past, but I know that you have a plan for me. You have a purpose for me. That God, you have created me, and though I made mistakes in the past, you wipe those away, and there is a promise of tomorrow. I wonder if Psalm 38 verse 4 says it, how we feel. Some of you even here this morning, you're struggling with yesterday. It says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. That your guilt of the past, the shame of the past, it's, it's overwhelming you in your life. You've never closed the door to the past and it's a heavy burden to bear. It says, I'm bowed down and I'm brought low. And so I wonder if some of you this morning, the past has crippled you. The pain of yesterday has stopped you. Well, again, the way we help you through this is through small groups. Small groups in the context of loving one another and being safe with one another and saying, listen, I don't care about your past. You'll never be healed until you find someone who loves you regardless of what you've done. Someone that says, I don't care about that. Listen, I love you. God loves you. There is a healing in that. And not only that, there's accountability for you to continue to move forward in your life with God. And small groups are the vehicle. That's why I'm so passionate. Listen, I don't ever want anybody to feel condemned about not being in small groups. I'm passionate about it because I know the freedom that I have experienced in my life. I have a life small group happening right now, and there's 11 of us that sit across from my kitchen table every Wednesday night. We're going through the curriculum and diving deep, and I had one of the guys say, I, I can't believe you're so real, that you would talk about some of the faults and the failures and the struggles. And I, and I just said, well, if I don't do it here, where do I do it? It's in the context of the small group of us just saying, listen, we all got struggles. It's not whether you got them. It's whether or not we're going to walk through life getting over them. And so that helps us in the small group setting to make sure that we walk through the pain of the past, that it doesn't cripple us. The second thing and the second reason why people live unfulfilled lives is because we let culture define us. You're not doing what God's created you to do. I would venture to say there are many of you here this morning, you're not doing what you know God's called you to do. 
And so you've allowed other people and other things to define what God wants you to do. Instead of partaking in his plan, the enemy has brought a diversion and you've accepted that as your plan for life. I'll never forget when we got ready to uh, launch this church, there was a, a lady that started with us. And, you know, we started with nine and we built a core team of 60 and uh, just everybody trying to find their role. And I'll never forget she came and she said, Pastor, I'm a great administrator. And I'm like, hallelujah. I mean, every pastor needs a great administrator. If you don't, you need to know that. And so I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And we started to work together. And it wasn't a couple of weeks that we were not working well together at all. And she was a close friend of mine from a, I mean, relationships, you know, a distance. And uh, she had lived up north, even moved down here. And I'm like, man, it's awesome. And what I realized was this. She wasn't good at administration. It's what her pastor had always said his need was. So she was trying to meet the greatest need of the person she loved the most. She was terrible at it. Can I just be honest? And so we walked through some of the gifts and I'm like, well, why would someone say that? Because for years people had said, you're great at administration. You're great at this. And the whole time she bought it, bought it. Well, when we took the spiritual gifts, gifts test, you know what she's great at? She's great at shepherding. She's great at influencing people. She's great at leading people. And so when we released her of the details and gave her the shepherding and the influence, she thrived. Everybody thrived, but it's a great example of where even good people, it doesn't have to be bad people, good people will try to put you in a box and say, this is what you are, this is what you'll always be, and you've got to say, listen, God, I don't know if it is or not, but I'm not going to let culture define me. I want to know what you've called me to be, and I want to be who you've called me to be. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 says this, am I now trying to win the approval of men or God? says, then am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Some of you have got to let go of what people think about you. And you've got to say, God, I want to discover for myself who I am really. I want to be fulfilled in my life. And Growth Track is our tool to help you with this. Listen, 80-some percent of you may be sitting out there saying, I don't have a clue what it is that I'm supposed to do. Go through Growth Track. We're going to help you discover God's purpose for your life. Can I get an amen? Third reason people live unfulfilled lives is this. We try to do it alone. We try to do it alone. This is a surefire way for you to never live a fulfilled life. God never called you to live all by yourself. Someone say, well, why do people try to live alone? People try to do it alone and live alone because people are a pain. You felt that passion? <laughs> Come on, be honest. You know it. Listen, everybody in your life, not everybody do you love the greatest and the most. And the reality is there are people that will hurt you. There are people that get on your nerves. And let me tell you this, if you didn't know that, you get on people's nerves. <laughs> Sometimes. I get on people's nerves. And what we have to understand is in that, that's the beauty of family. Family by choice that says, listen, you may not do everything right. You might not do it all great. But I choose to stick with you because you choose to stick with me. I've got to tell you this. It, 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 the devil knows that if he can isolate you, he can kill you. He can cause you to get derailed from God's calling on your life. And this is how I know. Look at divorce. Many people think that divorce is just about you and your spouse and you get a divorce. Listen, it's far bigger than that. 
And some of you here have experienced the pain of divorce, and you're going to know what I'm talking about. See, the, 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 the nearsightedness is just saying this, that that divorce, it was all about this relationship, and I'll probably never get married. No, it's more than the husband-wife relationship. It's more than the kids' relationship. The devil is trying to isolate you from any and everybody else in the world. Because when you get a divorce, that mentality is if someone who said they love me unconditionally could not love me unconditionally, they must have seen something that wasn't good enough, something that was so bad that I'm unlovable. And so now you walk through life, living your life, feeling unlovable to anybody else. Oh, it's a far more wicked plan the devil has. So you've got to realize and recognize, listen, I'm never called to live alone. If you've suffered through the pain of divorce, my God is a healer. My God is a restorer. What the devil meant for evil, God will turn around for good. There is a hope. There is a plan. There is a future. And God's going to use you to the full. That you don't have to exist, but God's going to elevate you. He's going to raise you up. And he's going to cause you to live the life he intended for you to live. Isn't it interesting in the Bible, it's never individuals when God talks about the church. He talks about a family of God. He talks about a fellowship of believers. He talks about the body of Christ. It's never just individuals, but we're supposed to be a part of something bigger. Ecclesiastes really says it so well. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 8 and talking about isolation. It's a story of a man. It says, there was a man all alone. Maybe you could say there was a woman all alone. You could relate to that. It says, I had neither son nor brother, no one in his life, all alone. There was no end to his toil, felt like he's working day in and day out, struggling to make it, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. This is what we know, that the man made wealth, the man was successful, yet he was alone, so he was discontent. You can be successful, but success is not going to bring the ultimate fulfillment of God in your life. You need people. So let's study it together. The Jewish people call this last cup the cup of praise. And I want to spend just a moment here this morning, the cup of praise. Now, I would argue that it's the cup of praise because after about four cups of wine, you're praising. You're like, hallelujah. Come on, somebody. I, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. That's right. No, that's not the whole reason. The reason is, is it's the cup of Hallel, Hallel, the cup of Hallel. That's what the Hebrew word means, and it means to celebrate. So that last cup is to celebrate. We actually get the word hallelujah from this, the, this word. And so celebrate God is what hallelujah, hallelujah means, and it's more than an act of worship in a worship service. Yes, we celebrated God today by raising our hands. Yes, we celebrated God by worshiping. But really, this last cup, the cup of Hallel, this celebration, this hallelujah, is living a life that celebrates God. Living life to the full, to the maximum, doing all and being all that God has called you to be, living your life with ultimate fulfillment. We'll go back to Exodus chapter 6. So here's the question of the day What brings fulfillment? What brings fulfillment? In Exodus 6, it says, I will take you as my own people. Now, I want you to see something in this briefly before we go on. Uh, he never promised to make you a fulfilled person. Look at that. He promised to make you a fulfilled people. And so in that promise, you have to diagnose it and say, listen, 
It's not the individual. It's really about being a part of a body. Here, here's the thing. If you're an, a, a, a hand, function like a hand, but how many know a hand needs an arm? How many know an arm needs an elbow? How many know an elbow and, and, and all this needs the body? And so you cannot function in and of yourself by yourself, but if you're going to be who God's called you to be, you've got to be connected to the body of God. Can I get an amen? So you're part of a team. He says, then, I will be your God. Now, I love this because when he says, I'll be your God, he's talking about when you become the body, when you become a people, I will get involved. You don't have to do it by yourself, but I'm going to be involved in helping you to do something that matters with people that matter for eternity. Someone would say, okay, pastor, I get it. I kind of connecting the dots that it's really about people and it's really about making a difference in eternity, but you're a pastor and you've got to say that. You've got to inspire that, inspire us in that. Let me tell you this. I want to prove this to you. How many have ever heard of Abraham Maslow? Anybody ever heard of that in your psychology class and your sociology classes? Somebody like, pastor, it's been 32 years since I've been in school. It's been 24 years. It's been, some of you are like, it's been two years and I don't remember that name. <laughs> I just tried to make it in that class. Well, he was a psychologist and they created what you call Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And he originally started with five needs. And what that is, is that's this whole list and theory of what motivates people to action. And if these needs are not met, people will do stuff to get these needs met even if they don't realize they're doing it. So there's these basic needs that people have and they're always trying to meet them. So originally he had five. Over the years, they've added to where it's now eight. I wanna give them to you and show you how these needs feed into the promise of God. So here's the, the needs that they talked about that we all have. The first one is a physical need. So you need to breathe. Everybody breathe in, breathe out. You need oxygen. You need water. You've got to have food. Now, you don't have to have the brownies, but you do need food. Uh, so you also need uh, shelter. You need warmth. You need sleep. And so he talked about these physical needs. The next one is safety. So the next need that we have as people is you've got to feel safe. Uh, you, know, you, you need to be able to feel like there's some security and protection. There's order and law. That's why we, as people, we don't like lawlessness. We want order and safety. The next one is love. Someone would say, well, I don't need love. No, actually, you do need love. Psychologists and sociologists have said absolutely without a doubt. That's what I would say why gangs are so popular, even though they're violent with people that have never felt loved. You say, well, I don't need love. No, no. That's why gangs draw people. Though it's violent, though it's horrible, they have a place where they feel affirmed and accepted and loved, even if it is in a wicked way. And I wonder if it's because we as the body have missed it. But anyway, that's another message. So the love need and esteem needs. You need someone to compliment you. Did you know that? Husbands, you need to compliment your wives. Wives, you need to compliment your husbands. And you need to help recognize the effort that they are doing and have done. He called these first four the deficiency needs. So those are just the basics to keep you alive. And so many people actually only get these needs met. But then he goes on. Here's, here's the next four that I want to share with you. He talks about a cognitive need, that we need knowledge and understanding and to figure out how things work. That's a need that we have. The next one is aesthetic needs. So this is so things look beautiful. It's why you went and bought that fern over at Home Depot yesterday. Ladies, it's why you hang pictures at your house. Now, men, I don't know how much of this we need. We could sit down in a blank room and say, hallelujah. It's good. 
But there's something about it that we want the aesthetic. It's, it's a need that we have. Then the next need is self-actualization. Now, leave it to a scientist to have a word that is so big, many of us don't understand it. Let me just break it down. This is where we fulfill our potential. This is kind of where we have that mountaintop experience. Uh, have you ever been a part of a football team or a basketball team? Uh, this self-actualization is really like the winning of the championship. You want to be the best that you can possibly be. And Maslow actually thought that this was the highest need in our lives, that we would be a part of a winning team and really being the best at what it is that we do. But over the years, scientists or psychologists and sociologists have actually discovered that that last need falls short, that there's really something greater. And this is where I believe, isn't it interesting how truth is transcendent, that God's truth is true, is true even if it doesn't come from a Christian, that they discover, they're like, oh, we discovered what's been in the Bible we, 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 we get it, and it's this last one, it's transcendence, that we, our greatest need, sociologists and psychologists have discovered, is the need for transcendence, and when you say, what is transcendence? That's where we find something that we're a part of that lives beyond us. You're making a difference in someone's life. It's not just about how much money you get. It's not about how much stuff you get. It's not just about how much pleasure you can have. It's about finding other people and helping to make such an impact in their life that you leave a legacy, that it transcends just you. And so they said, here, this is the pinnacle. This is the top. Well, we know that that's what God's word says. That's what the fourth cup is all about. That God would make us a people. That he would bring us together. That after we were saved, after we were freed, after we found the true redemptive calling of God in our life, that we as a body of people, we as the church, we would actually not just live within the confines of these four walls, but that we would go out of these walls, that as people came in and we go out, we would be the church and make a difference. Man, I'm preaching better than you're clapping. It's all right, though. I'm going to preach myself happy. But you got to know this. It's not just about making a difference. It's making a difference for eternity. There's a lot of good people out there doing a lot of good things. But if God's not in the middle, it's all in vain. And so we have to say, God, I want to be a people that get together, that we say, God, I do what it is you've called me to do with a group of people so that we could see lives touched and changed forever. So here's, here's just three things quickly. So if the fourth cup is about living beyond yourself and making a difference for eternity, how do we drink from it? First thing is this, you got to know it begins with a calling. You got to know it begins with a calling. You say, well, what do you mean, pastor? This is what I mean. You're called. Can I just settle something inside each and every one of you? You're called. The days of the church being about a man of God that feeds and does everything, those days are over. There's never what the Bible was intended to be. See, my job as your pastor is to equip you for the working of the ministry. You say, well, I'm not in ministry. I would beg to differ. My Bible actually says you are in ministry. My Bible actually says that you are called. My Bible says that I'm here to equip you so that you would go and do the work of ministry and operate in your calling. And so we say, God, I, I, you know, I, I've heard it years, especially the older preachers, like, oh, God, the call of God's on my life is so great. No, the call of God is on your life as well as my life. And that together, if we could have a church that would understand I'm called, everybody say, I'm called. I'm 
Do it again. Say, I'm called. You say, well, pastor, I'm not in full-time ministry. Actually, I think think you're a full-time missionary. If you would ask me what your role is, you're a missionary wherever it is that you're working. Wherever the job takes you, wherever the environments take you, God has planted you for such a time as this that you would go into the conversations, that you would go into the work, that you would go everywhere. God has placed you and plant seeds of the gospel so that we could see lives touched and changed for eternity. You're a missionary. Here, listen, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. I love the way the message says this. It says, God saved us, and then, everybody say it with me, called. Oh, no, you can do better than this. Say, God saved us, and then called. Say, I'm called. No, you can do better than that. Say, I'm called. And he called you to his holy work. We had nothing to do with it. It was all his idea. A gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. He has called you. You're not an accident. He created you from the beginning of time. And there is a calling inside of you. So you've got to know that there's a call. Here's the calling. I want to make a difference. Here's the calling. What is it? I I want to make a difference. God, we say this all the time in the church. Whatever you want to do in a church, do it in our church. God, whatever you want to do in my life, do it in my life. You want to make a difference in the lives of people. This is what I know. When people lose their way, or people lose their way when people lose their why. Listen to me. People lose their way when people lose their why. Many people drifting aimlessly around in society and in their lives, it's because they don't know the why that God has called. They don't understand the calling that he placed inside them. When you grab a hold of it, you say, I'm called. I promise you this, your path will be firm. So number two, the calling stands on a cause. You can't just have a calling. There's got to be a cause that we rally to, that there's something that we do together that makes an eternal difference, that we're out there doing something for God. Salvation is free, but that salvation produces good works. Acts chapter 20, verse 24 says, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. How many of you have experienced the grace of God in your life? He loved you. He accepted you. You didn't have to clean yourself up. And so he saves you. And so we accept the work of grace. Now it's time for us to go and share the good news with others. So I want to make a difference by doing something that makes a difference. Make a difference by doing something that makes a difference. The happiest people on the planet are those that are living a fulfilled life. Listen to me. You got to hear me close because I know sometimes you could think about this through the lens of it's all about you and that it's easy. Let me tell you, you do this because when you find who God created you to be, you live it out. God is glorified. They see Jesus in you. And then I want you to know this as well. It's not easy to be someone that's living out God's purpose for your life. When you're out there making a difference, you're going to be tired. When you're out there serving others, you may get frustrated. There's going to be late nights and early mornings. But I'll tell you this. There's nothing better than laying your head on the pillow, exhausted, maybe even a little bit frustrated, but saying, God, that's how you live life. That I get to do something that really touches people's heart, that really makes a difference, that I can get over myself. Someone says, Pastor, I got lots of problems. Yeah, hey, welcome to the club. We all got lots of problems. I may be your pastor, but I got a lot of problems. 
And can I tell you this? The great thing in my life has never been to try to live problem-free. The greatest thing in my life has been to find something bigger than my problems. Isn't that what helps us move forward? Because if you're looking for a problem-free life, it ain't going to happen. In fact, when you become a Christian, when you're a follower of Christ, the devil's going to attack. But thank God we got the power of God. We've got family. We've got friends. And it's by God's power and grace we're victorious. Here's the third and final step. You guys come on out. The final step is we get ready to close. It spreads from me to we. It's got to spread from me to we. It's got to spread from me to we. Dream teamers realize this, that I can't do it alone. He takes individuals and he makes us a body and we become a body. I love Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So cup four says this, I want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference with people who want to make a difference. So I love about the dream team. You're not going to find perfect people. You're going to find people that are willing to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes. God, use me. God, use me. John chapter 15, verse 8. I love this verse, and I'm closing. This is my last verse. This is to my Father's glory that you bear a little bit of fruit. Let's bear just a itty bitty, just, just enough to make it. Now he says that you bear what? That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And I love it. Joy doesn't come from circumstances. That's happiness. You feel happy when things are going good. Joy comes from God. That even, have you ever seen someone going through a horrible situation and you're like, I don't understand. They're like, I don't either. I just feel God's presence. Why? Because joy is not about your circumstances. It's about God. And it's here we say, God, I want your joy to be complete in me. How is that? By bearing much fruit. You'll never be fulfilled until you do something with people that makes an eternal difference. And I love this. I... This is what I know. God cares about two things, people in heaven. So we're out to reach people, and then he wants to bring heaven to earth. God, that they would experience a touch of heaven every time they come in contact with us. They walk through these doors. Listen, this may be a temporary place, but our desire is that you touched a part of heaven when you walk through those doors. But you met people that have the love of God in their lives. And listen, I know you could think, well, this whole message is to get us to sign up for the dream team. Listen, this whole message is so you understand why we exist and how we exist. So my question would be, would you come and join us? We'd love for you to join us. I don't want you to go out and say, man, I'm never going to. Listen, you got to let God lead you. But if maybe there's some of you in here today, you've been saying, there's something missing. I'm doing some good things, but maybe I've been doing those good things alone. It's because the pain of the past, you had not really worked through it. So we get up, we talk about dream team. It's, it's because we're passionate about seeing God fulfill the lives of people. And I wonder if you would in, join us, and I invite you to join us. Say, well, how do I do it? Just go through the growth track. Let him show you, let us show you how God created you, and then get you put into the right place. Come alive. Come alive. I believe the world needs to see a church that has come alive saying, I discovered my purpose, and I'm walking in it.
come alive. I think that's when the world says, my God, I got money, but I ain't got that. Like, I got these things, but, you know, I don't have what you got, that joy. Well, you know, maybe, maybe that you don't make it as much. It doesn't matter. It's about God's joy being complete in our lives. Bow your heads. Let me just pray over you. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this place. God, I thank you for touching the hearts and lives of every person. Lord, I just thank you for our church. That from the very beginning, we built our church, this church, your church, around these promises. And Lord, I pray that every person at their own pace would take the journey. God, sometimes it's not the season. It's okay. Let there never be condemnation. But Lord, if you're speaking to people, speak to them. Father, we thank you that at the end of our lives, together, we're going to stand in heaven. We want to hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I thank you for that. Thank you for a church that loves you. We're passionate about the things of God, people, and heaven. Lord, would you continue your work? I thank you for that. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have a story to share of how God has been working in your life, please send us an email at info at ilovethechurch.tv. We invite you to check out the church's Facebook page and don't forget to like us. You can also follow the church on Twitter at twitter.com slash thechurchforme. And if you are in the Rosenberg area, we invite you to be our guest this Sunday morning. Finally, if you would like to make a donation to the church, you can give online at www.ilovethechurch.tv. We invite you to listen again next week. Until then, have a blessed week.